Chapter Twenty Seven of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty Seven: A Soul in Distress. The events told in the last two chapters had taken place toward the close of the week. On Saturday evening the Reverend Chauncey Fairweather received a note which was left at his door by an unknown person who departed without saying a word. Its words were these. One who is in distress of mind requests the prayers of this congregation that God would be pleased to look in mercy upon the soul that he has afflicted. There was nothing to show from whom the note came, or the sex or age, or special source of spiritual discomfort or anxiety of the writer. The handwriting was delicate, and might well be a woman's. The clergyman was not aware of any particular affliction among his parishioners, which was likely to be made the subject of a request of this kind. Surely, neither of the Venners would advertise the attempted crime of their relative in this way. But who else was there? The more he thought about it, the more it puzzled him. And as he did not like to pray in the dark, without knowing for whom he was praying, he could think of nothing better than to step into old Dr. Kittredge's and see what he had to say about it. The old doctor was sitting alone in his study when the Reverend Mr. Fairweather was ushered in. He received his visitor very pleasantly, expecting, as a matter of course, that he would begin with some new grievance, dyspeptic, neuralgic, bronchitic, or other. The minister, however, began with questioning the old doctor about the sequel of the other night's adventure, for he was already getting a little Jesuitical and kept back the object of his visit until it should come up, as if accidentally in the course of conversation. It was a pretty bold thing to go off alone with that reprobate as you did, said the minister. I don't know what there was bold about it, the doctor answered. All he wanted was to get away. He was not quite a reprobate, you see. He didn't like the thought of disgracing his family or facing his uncle. I think he was ashamed to see his cousin, too, after what he had done. Did he talk with you on the way? Not much. For half an hour or so, he didn't speak a word. Then he asked where I was driving him. I told him, and he seemed to be surprised into a sort of grateful feeling. Bad enough, no doubt, but might be worse. Has some humanity left in him yet? Let him go. God can judge him. I can't. You are too charitable, doctor, the minister said. I condemn him, just as if he had carried out his project, which, they say, was to make it appear as if the schoolmaster had committed suicide. That's what people think the rope found by him was for. He has saved his neck, but his soul is a lost one, I am afraid, beyond question. I can't judge men's souls, the doctor said. I can judge their acts and hold them responsible for those, but I don't know much about their souls. 
if you or I had found our soul in a half-breed body and been turned loose to run among the Indians, we might have been playing just such tricks as this fellow has been trying. What if you or I had inherited all the tendencies that were born with his cousin Elsie? Oh, that reminds me, the minister said in a sudden way. I have received a note which I am requested to read from the pulpit tomorrow. I wish you would just have the kindness to look at it and see where you think it came from. The doctor examined it carefully. It was a woman's or girl's note, he thought. Might come from one of the schoolgirls who was anxious about her spiritual condition. Handwriting was disguised, looking a little like Elsie Venner's, but not characteristic enough to make it certain. It would be a new thing if she had asked public prayers for herself, and a very favorable indication of a change in her singular moral nature. It was just possible Elsie might have sent that note. Nobody could foretell her actions. It would be well to see the girl and find out whether any unusual impression had been produced on her mind by the recent occurrence or by any other cause. The Reverend Mr. Fairweather folded the note and put it into his pocket. "'I have been a good deal exercised in my mind lately myself,' he said. The old doctor looked at him through his spectacles and said in his usual professional tone, "'Put out your tongue.' The minister obeyed him in that feeble way, common with persons of weak character, for people differ as much in their mode of performing this trifling act as Gideon's soldiers in their way of drinking at the brook. The doctor took his hand and placed a finger mechanically on his wrist. It is more spiritual, I think, than bodily, said the Reverend Mr. Fairweather. Is your appetite as good as usual? the doctor asked. Pretty good, the minister answered. But my sleep, my sleep, doctor, I am greatly troubled at night with lying awake and thinking of my future. I am not at ease in mind. He looked round at all the doors, to be sure they were shut, and moved his chair up close to the doctor's. You do not know the mental trials I have been going through for the last few months. I think I do, the old doctor said. You want to get out of the new church into the old one, don't you? The minister blushed deeply. He thought he had been going on in a very quiet way, and that nobody suspected his secret. As the old doctor was his counselor in sickness, and almost everybody's confidant in trouble, he had intended to impart cautiously to him some hints of the change of sentiments through which he had been passing. He was too late with his information, it appeared, and there was nothing to be done but to throw himself on the doctor's good sense and kindness, which everybody knew, and get what hints he could from him as to the practical course he should pursue. He began after an awkward pause. You would not have me stay in a communion which I feel to be alien to the true church, would you? Have you stay, my friend, said the doctor, with a pleasant, friendly look. Have you stay? Not a month, nor a week, nor a day, if I could help it. You have got into the wrong pulpit, and I have known it from the first. The sooner you go where you belong, the better, and I'm very glad 
you don't mean to stop half way. Don't you know you've always come to me when you've been dyspeptic, or sick anyhow, and wanted to put yourself wholly into my hands, so that I might order you, like a child, just what to do and what to take? That's exactly what you want in religion. I don't blame you for it. You never liked to take the responsibility for your own body. I don't see why you should want to have the charge of your own soul. But I'm glad you're going to the old mother of all. You wouldn't have been contented short of that. The Reverend Mr. Fairweather breathed with more freedom. The doctor saw into his soul through those awful spectacles of his, into it and beyond it, as one sees through a thin fog. But it was with a real human kindness after all. He felt like a child before a strong man, but the strong man looked on him with a father's indulgence. Many and many a time when he had come desponding and bemoaning himself on account of some contemptible bodily infirmity, the old doctor had looked at him through his spectacles, listened patiently while he told his ailments, and then, in his large parental way, given him a few words of wholesome advice, and cheered him up, so that he went off with a light heart, thinking that the heaven he was so much afraid of was not so very near after all. It was the same thing now. He felt, as feeble natures always do in the presence of strong ones, overmastered, circumscribed, shut in, humbled, but yet it seemed as if the old doctor did not despise him any more for what he considered weakness of mind than he used to despise him when he complained of his nerves or his digestion. Men who see into their neighbors are very apt to be contemptuous, but men who see through them find something lying behind every human soul which it is not for them to sit in judgment on, or to attempt to sneer out of the order of God's manifold universe. Little as the doctor had said out of which comfort could be extracted, his genial manner had something grateful in it. A film of gratitude came over the poor man's cloudy, uncertain eye, and a look of tremulous relief and satisfaction played about his weak mouth. He was gravitating to the majority, where he hoped to find rest but he was dreadfully sensitive to the opinions of the minority. He was on the point of leaving. The old doctor saw plainly enough what was going on in his mind. I shan't quarrel with you, he said. You know that very well, but you mustn't quarrel with me if I talk honestly with you. It isn't everybody that will take the trouble. You flatter yourself that you will make a good many enemies by leaving your old communion not so many as you think. This is the way the common sort of people will talk. You have got your ticket to the feast of life as much as any other man that ever lived. Protestantism says, help yourself. Here's a clean plate and a knife and fork of your own and plenty of fresh dishes to choose from. The old mother says, give me your ticket, my dear, and I'll feed you with my golden spoon off these beautiful old wooden trenchers, such nice bits as those good old gentlemen have left for you. There is no quarreling with a man who prefers broken victuals. That's what the rougher sort will say, 
and then where one scolds ten will laugh but mind you i don't either scold or laugh i don't feel sure that you could very well have helped doing what you will soon do you know you were never easy without some medicine to take when you felt ill in body i'm afraid i've given you trashy stuff sometimes just to keep you quiet now let me tell you there is just the same difference in spiritual patients that there is in bodily ones one set believes in wholesome ways of living and another must have a great list of specifics for all the soul's complaints you belong with the last and got accidentally shuffled in with the others the minister smiled faintly but did not reply of course he considered that way of talking as the result of the doctor's professional training it would not have been worth while to take offence at his plain speech if he had been so disposed for he might wish to consult him the next day as to what he should take for his dyspepsia or his neuralgia he left the doctor with a hollow feeling at the bottom of his soul as if a good piece of his manhood had been scooped out of him his hollow aching did not explain itself in words but it grumbled and worried down among the unshaped thoughts which lie beneath them he knew that he had been trying to reason himself out of his birthright of reason he knew that the inspiration which gave him understanding was losing its throne in his intelligence and the almighty majority vote was proclaiming itself in its stead he knew that the great primal truths which each successive revelation only confirmed were fast becoming hidden beneath the mechanical forms of thought which as with all new converts engrossed so large a share of his attention the peace the rest which he had purchased were dearly bought to one who had been trained to the arms of thought and whose noble privilege it might have been to live in perpetual warfare for the advancing truth which the next generation will claim as the legacy of the present the reverend mr fairweather was getting careless about his sermons he must wait the fitting moment to declare himself and in the meantime he was preaching to heretics it did not matter much what he preached under such circumstances he pulled out two old yellow sermons from a heap of such and began looking over that for the forenoon naturally enough he fell asleep over it and sleeping he began to dream he dreamed that he was under the high arches of an old cathedral amidst a throng of worshippers the light streamed in through vast windows dark with the purple robes of royal saints or blazing with yellow glories around the heads of earthly martyrs and heavenly messengers the billows of the great organ roared among the clustered columns as the sea breaks amidst the basaltic pillars which crowd the stormy cavern of the hebrides the voice of the alternate choirs of singing boys swung back and forward as the silver censer swung in the hands of the white-robed children the sweet cloud of incense rose in soft fleecy mists full of penetrating suggestions of the east and its perfumed altars the knees of twenty generations had worn the pavement their feet had hollowed the steps their shoulders had smoothed the columns 
dead bishops and abbots lay under the marble of the floor in their crumbled vestments dead warriors in rusted armor were stretched beneath their sculptured effigies and all at once all the buried multitudes who had ever worshipped there came thronging in through the aisles they choked every space they swarmed into all the chapels they hung in clusters over the parapets of the galleries they clung to the images in every niche and still the vast throng kept flowing in and flowing in until the living were lost in the rush of the returning dead who had reclaimed their own then as his dream became more fantastic the huge cathedral itself seemed to change into the wreck of some mighty antediluvian vertebrate its flying buttresses arched round like ribs its piers shaped themselves into limbs and the sound of the organ-blast changed to the wind whistling through its thousand-jointed skeleton and presently the sound lulled and softened and softened until it was as the murmur of a distant swarm of bees a procession of monks wound along through an old street chanting as they walked in his dream he glided in among them and bore his part in the burden of their song he entered with the long train under a low arch and presently he was kneeling in a narrow cell before an image of the blessed maiden holding the divine child in her arms and his lips seemed to whisper sancta maria ora pro nobis he turned to the crucifix and prostrating himself before the spare agonizing shape of the holy sufferer fell into a long passion of tears and broken prayers he rose and flung himself worn out upon his hard pallet and seeming to slumber dreamed again within his dream once more in the vast cathedral with throngs of the living choking its aisles amidst jubilant peals from the cavernous depths of the great organ and choral melodies ringing from the fluty throats of the singing boys a day of great rejoicings for a prelate was to be consecrated and the bones of the mighty skeleton minster were shaking with anthems as if there were a life of its own within its buttressed ribs he looked down at his feet the folds of the sacred robe were flowing about him he put his hand to his head it was crowned with the holy mitre a long sigh as of perfect contentment in the consummation of all his earthly hope breathed through the dreamer's lips and shaped itself as it escaped into the blissful murmur ego sum episcopus one grinning gargoyle looked in from beneath the roof through an opening in a stained window it was the face of a mocking fiend such as the old builders loved to place under the eaves to spout the rain through their open mouths it looked at him as he sat in his mitred chair with its hideous grin growing broader and broader until it laughed out aloud such a hard stony mocking laugh that he awoke out of his second dream threw his first into his common consciousness and shivered as he turned to the two yellow sermons which he was to pick over and weed of the little thought they might contain for the next day's service the rev chauncey fairweather was too much taken up with his own bodily and spiritual condition to be deeply mindful of others 
he carried the note requesting the prayers of the congregation in his pocket all day and the soul in distress which a single tender petition might have soothed and perhaps have saved from despair or fatal error found no voice in the temple to plead for it before the throne of mercy End of chapter twenty seven within its buttressed ribs within its buttressed ribs within its buttressed ribs within its buttressed ribs within its buttressed ribs